This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Welcome to the next skills episode. We are finally here. For the past few skills episodes, we've been leading up to this moment. We have referenced ERP, and we've been talking about it, but what is it? So in this episode, we are gonna answer that very question. What is ERP? We are also gonna answer some other frequently asked questions such as, do we need to do a hierarchy? Aren't we just teaching distraction? And how does ERP work with the different subtypes of OCD? Let's get started. Hello, Tori. Hello, Celine. How are you today? Good, cold chilly today yeah it is winter everyone's instagram feeds are full of all these wonderful european (laughs) photos i know i know i know i'm happy for them but also super jealous totally (laughs) yes but happy to be back for another skills episode yes me too we are doing it we are talking about erp today i know we've been referencing erp for ages and we keep saying We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's do the foundation Mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah, we're finally here. Here we are. I know, the heart of OCD treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. What is ERP? That is our first question for today. (laughs) ERP, exposure and response prevention. It's really funny. Sometimes, you know, working with, I don't know if this happens for you, but clients like, what's ERP again? It's true. Like we use so many acronyms, don't we? Yeah. Metaphors, acronyms. Do you know what I also do with clients I work with? I also say, do you know what OCD stands for? You know, we keep, you know, do you remember what O, C and D stand for? Yes. Because often we we get so shorthand at things, but actually understanding all of this language means I think is really important. And I think as psychologists, we love a good acronym. (laughs) Yeah, we do, don't we? Everything's an acronym. (laughs) I know. I know. But yes, ERP, exposure and response prevention. What is it? That is a very good question. Some people listening may be completely unfamiliar. This may be new information for others. But I think for those who are a little bit more familiar, they'll know the phrase gold standard treatment. I think that that is a Mm -hmm. phrase that we all use, which is that looking at research into treating OCD, it is the one that has been really consistently found to be for the last how long how long oh that is a great question i mean because i would say it's in more modern times 30 yeah 25 20 yeah at least at least 25 years at least at least that would have been my guess 20 or 30 i would say 30 years i reckon yeah you're right yeah but i reckon people have not been using it it hasn't been popular or commonplace for its use for 25 years i think researchers have known Specialists in OCD have known, but I don't think generally ERP has been the treatment of choice. I think CBT has, like really sort of traditional CBT yes. has been the treatment of choice. But we know now really clearly that ERP is a specialist form of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, designed specifically for the treatment of OCD. And it is found to be the most effective treatment for OCD. 
Absolutely. I just had an intrusive thought. Ooh, what is it? We, people could play a drinking game with this podcast episode. <laughs> Drink every time you hear an acronym. Yeah, what's, what's your intrusive thought? That was it. It's true. There's going to be more. People won't get through the yeah. episode. They won't be able to stand up afterwards. No, we've already probably had five acronyms. Five shots, please. <laughs> I've got intrusive images of people taking shots while listening to this episode. That's really what the thought was totally inappropriate and not really relevant for this conversation. What I might mention while talking about this is that broadly speaking, we talk about ERP being the gold standard treatment for OCD. But what we also know is the research is also telling us that methodologies such as acceptance and commitment therapy are also demonstrating to be just as powerful in treatment. And we've got some great episodes, interviews with like the likes of Michael Tuhig and Jonathan Bramowitz who talk about these methodologies mm-hmm. and why they're effective and the mechanisms of change. And so it's important that we don't narrow OCD treatment down to just it's got to be ERP and nothing else because sometimes a different approach actually is appropriate. But I think ERP probably we talk about as being the heart of OCD treatment and the place to start and probably absolutely even if you specialize in ACT I think it's also really integral that you understand ERP so that you can make really thoughtful clinical choices about when ERP is required versus ACT and how you know you get creative with your work you've got to really understand the fundamentals of ERP and its place in treatment for OCD would you agree? Oh, 100%. Because when we're looking at our treatment, we need some form of scaffolding. We need to be able to have a foundation to know the mechanisms of change of what we're aiming or what we're working towards. We need to be able to know how to formulate our client. We need to be able to understand the OCD story. And we really need to include no matter what modality we're using within that ERP program, we need to be able to include those fundamentals of ERP treatment, which are doing the opposite to what OCD wants our clients to do, to have consistency, to embrace discomfort, to not provide reassurance, to not enable, to really instill our clients with confidence to know that they're going to be able to cope with whatever OCD is telling them in order to be able to resist that. So if we kind of have those fundamentals, there are so many parallels with acceptance and commitment therapy, for example, where when we're asking our clients to lean into discomfort and to open up around discomfort, that's response prevention. When we're teaching urge surfing from acceptance and commitment therapy, we're teaching our clients how to resist those urges to engage in compulsions. That's response prevention. When we're teaching our clients to diffuse from thoughts in ERP-friendly ways. So if you understand ERP, exposure and response prevention, you can have a look at other modalities and go, which tools and strategies are ERP-friendly? and which ones are going to be reassuring or enabling, et cetera. So we want to leave those ones out but kind of take the ones that are ERP friendly. Um, And an example of that is when we're looking at diffusion, for example, and using phrases like I'm thinking blank, I'm feeling blank, I'm experiencing fill in the blank, you know, or there goes the blank story again. Over the years, like I know for myself, I've kind of refrained from teaching my clients the there goes the blank story again, because oftentimes clients will substitute that as there goes the OCD story again. And what then happens is it becomes dismissive. They're labeling the disorder. They're not labeling their intrusive thought and we lose that chance of exposure. So saying to yourself, there goes the 
I'm the murderer story is much more powerful than there goes the OCD story because we want that exposure to happen. So that's, I guess, a fundamental example of why you still need to know the basics of ERP so that when you are using other modalities, you can be like, actually, that's turning into a reassurance strategy. That's no longer exposure. And so you also then know what to hear and what to listen for with your clients when they're like, oh, yeah, diffusion was great. I just kept saying, oh, yeah, there goes the OCD story and I could get on with my day. And it's like, well, we've just lost all this opportunity for exposure. It's not meant to feel good, right? It's meant to feel really uncomfortable. (laughs) You want your client to come in and say, I tried this and it didn't work because then we know they felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is important to know the fundamentals for sure. Absolutely. And I think what you're talking about there is how ERP was a story of how ERP arrived anyway, because it was looking at the limitations of traditional CBT and why some of the methodology of CBT, such as positive reframing, researching, trying to reassure yourself actually wasn't helping. There was The research was telling us it wasn't effective for treating OCD. And ERP was born from that, recognizing that we actually needed to tweak what we were doing for the pathology of OCD. Yeah, in a sense of even going so far as evidence testing, which is what we do with more traditional CBT approaches and talking about rational alternatives and trying to get perspective and think more logically. But over the years, we're realizing more and more that you can't make logical sense out of an emotional trigger. That's right. We are very much, as humans, emotional beings first. And if we're emotionally triggered, we're not going to be doing a very good job at thinking. Mm, That's right. Our thinking brain shuts down. Our emotional brain kicks in. All of our thoughts that do come up from a place of emotion rather than a place of logic. And we lose that opportunity in those moments. And this is what people with OCD talk about, which is why we do ERP, not traditional CBT. Because they say, I know this doesn't make sense. This is not actually, I don't do these things because I actually believe that it's going to happen. But I just feel so frightened despite logically knowing. But then I lose it. I lose my capacity to think about it logically. I get lost in the moment. And then afterwards I think, oh, God, what happened? How did I end up doing that compulsion again? How did I end up in that place again? People with OCD can tell you how illogical OCD is. We talk about this idea about OCD logic. It makes OCD sense. A hundred percent. So that's why using traditional CBT methodology isn't really effective. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. So let's talk about what ERP actually is. Yes. Exposure and response prevention is, if we think back to a few episodes ago, where we talked about the treatment model of people get triggered, they experience an intrusive thought they then experience worry beliefs and add meaning to those thoughts Then they experience emotional distress. And then because of that emotional distress, it feels quite visceral. They need, feel like they need to do something in order to reduce that distress to kind of get back to feeling reassured, not feeling afraid, etc. So if we think back to that model, what exposure and response prevention does is it aims to purposely, it sounds a bit mean, purposely (laughs) trigger people, trigger OCD and expose them to their intrusive thoughts, their beliefs and their emotions. And then we gradually want to prevent the response that is currently occurring, the maladaptive response. So that's response prevention. So the response prevention is we're trying to prevent 
the OCD response that is happening. So we're exposing to triggers, thoughts and feelings and we're preventing the OCD response of engaging in compulsions, whether it's mental compulsions or observable compulsions, including things like reassurance seeking, neutralizing of thoughts, etc., or hand washing, checking, whatever it might be. We're trying to gradually prevent that response from happening. So basically in that treatment of exposing to triggers, thoughts and feelings and preventing the OCD response from happening, so response prevention, we hope that we can then encourage clients to know that they can cope with those triggers, thoughts and feelings without having to rely on maladaptive compulsions. That's a beautiful description. And it's so interesting because it's, I think you and I work quite similarly, which is that when we first start educating clients about ERP, we talk a lot about how it's actually not a comfortable treatment. Actually, it involves a slow increase of exposure to discomfort, but also the development of alternative ways of tolerating distress, of sitting with discomfort, of building their capacity to believe in their ability to tolerate discomfort, their ability to have the confidence that they can live life despite discomfort. But that process is tough, isn't it? It is incredibly tough. And it's not about teaching relaxation to help clients tolerate that distress. It's not about distraction. It's not about avoidance. It's about opening yourself up to and learning how to sit with discomfort. Yeah, that's right. Which is very consistent with acceptance and commitment therapy approaches and a lot of DBT approaches too in terms of learning distress tolerance in that ERP friendly way, learning how to lean into and sit with. Yeah. And particularly if you're using mindfulness informed ERP as well, brings in lots of those distress tolerance techniques. I think it might be worth us talking about habituation versus the inhibitory learning models because what you were talking about so beautifully is yes what we're doing, but I suppose it's probably worth us talking about why we do it. Why we do it. Yeah, exactly. We don't do this because we're sadistic clinicians <laughs> and we like to in- cause pain to people. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but what is the mechanism for change here? Way, way, way long ago, back in the 70s and 80s, we looked at habituation of being the mechanism for change. Habituation is just a fancy way of saying getting used to something. You know, like when you jump into a pool on a hot day and the water's cold and you're like, ah, it's cold. (laughs) But then you stay in the water, right, because it's hot and you want to cool off. So you stay in the water for a bit and then you acclimatize to the temperature of the water and then you can actually enjoy it. That's basically a form of habituation. Yeah. You see habituation occur really beautifully in babies, actually, when something gets their attention and they look at it for a while. And then if you repeat that behavior, they stop paying attention to it because they get used to it. Yeah. And stops being novel and the brain stops needing to pay it attention because it's not new and interesting or new and alarming anymore. And I think that the habituation theory as it applies to OCD is the idea, that the theory that if we are avoiding something that causes us fear or discomfort or distress, then we are reinforcing this idea that we're that it is something to be avoided, but that the more we expose ourselves to it, that our brain will adjust, our brain will learn that it is not something to be frightened of or not something that is distressing and that our anxiety or our distress or discomfort will decrease over time. And so it's sort of a some fairly um, behavioral activities attached to that with the exposure where you repeatedly expose yourself to the thought, the image, the idea, 
the place, whatever the trigger happens to be, with the idea that the more you do that, the longer you do that, the more your anxiety will decrease. And certainly the habituation model underpinned the origins of ERP. But there's also the alternative theory, which sort of sits Mm -hmm. alongside habituation as being a theory for the mechanisms of change behind ERP, which is the inhibitory learning model, which is trying to address the reality that for some people they don't habituate despite multiple exposures, despite persistent exposure to their trigger, that their anxiety does not, maybe it decreases, maybe it doesn't decrease, maybe it goes away, maybe it doesn't. So why? Why in some people does it not go away? And I often talk to my clients about my anxiety about heights because I wouldn't go so far to say it's a phobia. It's it's not a phobia, but certainly heights is one of those things that make me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And I still have been abseiling. I have still gone up on sky depths. I've gone kite surfing. Like I've done all of these sorts of things. I'm happy to hike up to the top of a mountain and stand on a beautiful lookout and things like that. But doing those things still makes me anxious. And even just thinking about them, like right now I've got really sweaty hands and my heart rate has Mm. increased a little. Like I feel really uncomfortable right now, even just thinking about heights. And that is despite doing exposure basically my whole life to heights, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's still something that my brain does not like, you know. And I suppose for me, I've accepted that as something that I'm probably never going to be feel comfortable with. But because I love doing adventurous things, it's worth kind of doing despite my anxiety. And this is where the inhibitory model comes in, isn't it? Which is That's right. this idea that it's very hard for our brain to forget the thing that we're afraid of or a difficult experience or a trigger or a negative association that we've made with an event or, or, a or trauma, trauma, whatever that yes. is, that our brain stores these memories and doesn't forget, doesn't easily forget. And so the inhibitory learning model is the idea that with repeated exposure, the goal doesn't have to be that we rid ourselves of discomfort. It's about building new memories, alternative pathways, alternative experiences, which just sit alongside the uncomfortable ones. With the hope that the more you choose to engage in that way of living life, eventually those pathways will become stronger than those memories and will inhibit the OCD response. Yeah, that's right. So that's where the name comes from. So when we think about doing ERP, it is those two theories that we are thinking about, that we are trying to attend to, whether it be the reduction of of anxiety through repeat exposure or the development of new experiences to sit alongside those hard ones. In both, we're talking about the development of new neural pathways and strengthening alternative ways of managing discomfort when triggered, really. And that is what ERP is all about. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of keeping in mind that when we are doing exposure and response prevention, both models call for consistency, both models call for needing to sit in discomfort, both models call for repetition as well in terms of repeating exposures in situations, contexts, etc. And both models call for living a life with uncertainty. Yeah, they do. I think we should talk about like, what does it look like? Like in the room, what are we doing with our clients? So that's the underlying theory, but what are we actually doing? 
Well, that's a secret I'll never tell. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I only joking. Yeah. So what does that look like? It's a great question. Well, do you want to take this? So let's just say I'm a big fan of scripts in using that for exposure exercises. There are so many different things that you can do when it comes to exposure therapy or ERP. And this is where I think we can be really, really creative in formulating what that looks like, what those exercises look like. But it also I'm a big fan of being collaborative with our clients. So rather than me saying, okay, we're now going to do these things, it's about sitting with our client, establishing a bit of a loose hierarchy, and we'll talk about hierarchies in a second, of listing all the triggers, all the things that trigger our clients, and rating them from least anxiety provoking to most anxiety provoking. But research tells us that we don't necessarily need a hierarchy. So this is one of the common questions we get. I'm getting ahead now to frequently ask questions, <laughs> but um, I'll cover that one as we go. One of the questions we get asked is, do we really need a hierarchy? And the beauty of that is not necessarily. You need to have some kind of structure. You need to know what your client's triggers are. You need a bit of a barometer to tell you how anxiety provoking those triggers are for your client. But at the same time, you don't need to follow it in order like we used to from least anxiety provoking to most anxiety provoking because research is starting to show that a variable approach to just kind of having a hierarchy like a bit of a menu and just picking things off there has much better long-term effects when we look at long-term follow-up of the efficacy of ERP treatment has much better effects in the long run than having a structured approach. And that's because when we have a graded structured approach, people with OCD love rules, or I should say OCD loves rules and loves structure and doesn't like to break rules or get messy. And so in treatment, clients can sometimes, or OCD can get very fixated on needing to follow things, can prepare for exposures can compensate for them. And so the uncertainty of what they're going to be tackling gets lost. And then when they're faced with incidental triggers in real life, like outside of the therapy space, then it throws them for six and it can kind of come across as a setback. Whereas when we have that varied approach and it's a bit of a menu, we stay teaching, tolerating with uncertainty. And we also, like it becomes less predictable. And having said that, though, if you do choose something that does sit a bit higher on the client's hierarchy, it doesn't mean that you can't even break that down even further to much more manageable steps. So I'm coming back to what I was saying earlier in saying I'm a big fan of scripts and using scripts when we're doing exposure and response prevention, because no matter how challenging a task is, you can always write a script. And a script, for those that aren't familiar, is basically writing a paragraph of the worst case scenario of what could happen. So including intrusive thoughts in there, including worries, including feelings. And the idea is for the client to be able to read over that in session. And then when they're reading over that, you then start teaching things like opening up on how to open up to discomfort, how to sit in that discomfort. So this is response prevention. You'll start talking to your client. So the exposure happens through the script of reading the script. And then the response prevention happen starts when we start coaching our clients to notice what OCD is telling you, notice the urges that are coming up, notice 
how uncomfortable you're feeling right now. Notice where you're feeling this discomfort in your body and then encouraging clients to lean into it, to open up to it, to sit with it, to let the thoughts be and to keep coming back to and focusing on the emotion of that discomfort to kind of ride that wave. Whether it goes up or down is not necessarily what we're wanting to achieve. All we're wanting to do is to see how long our clients can go without compulsing. And every time we just want that ability to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And so when we take away the focus of anxiety reduction and we focus on empowering our client to know that they can sit with it and to be able to build tolerance towards it, they then are more able to become actually focused on what the treatment is about rather than worrying about why their anxiety isn't going down, if they're doing treatment right, if there's something wrong with them and so on and so forth. So you avoid all those pitfalls. So that's an example of what ERP can look like in session. And then, of course, you'd set that for homework and then you might generalize to other things. You can do things in vivo, so in real life. You can use imaginal exposure. You can use videos, articles, movies that might be triggering and so on and so forth. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, you're right. So it's really about building, I mean, because we've talked right at the beginning of skills episodes about doing an assessment, about assessing using something like the Y box to get a really good comprehensive understanding of what the triggers are and what the compulsions are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll already have that before you even embark on ERP. And then, so you've got your list, you've got your list of what the exposure activities can be based on. And then, yeah, you build the hierarchy, don't you? Or I agree, I use the idea of the exposure menu more than the idea of the hierarchy myself. I love the flexibility and the freedom that that gives clients to sort of also to move with where their level of motivation is at. If they're having a really bold week, like bloody go for it, you know, like forget the fact that you're only at step three, like just fucking get in there, go for it if you're feeling brave. Yes. But also self-compassion if you're having a tough week, if you've got lots going on, or like it's okay to kind of take a step back as long as you're doing something, as long as you're always pushing the limits of where you're at, it's great. So you've got the assessment of the triggers and the compulsions. You build with your client that list. Some people like to attach a SUDS to it, a SUDS rating, that subjective units of distress rating to help you sort of have a sense of how challenging the trigger is and how difficult it would be to tolerate not engaging in a compulsion would be. But I think those who sort of lean towards ACT prefer not to use SUDS ratings and instead would use a willingness scale. How willing are you to feel this discomfort? How willing are you to expose yourself to this trigger? So you could kind of go either way, use a SUDS or a, a willingness scale. Then you ask, you collaborate with your client and you get them to sort of say, where are we going to start? What are we going to tackle? Let's do it. And then you decide whether to do it together whether to do it at home. I think you're right. We do lots, especially in the beginning, lots of work in the room. I think because that way you can scaffold the support. You know, it can be a very daunting task for clients to start doing their exposure alone at home. We both work with kids and teens and I don't know about you, but I often find that at the beginning, parents really want to coach their kids through it. And that tension of the kid getting started with something that's very challenging. Sometimes parents are very supportive, but sometimes kids don't like it. They don't so it can sometimes be easier to start in the room while parents and young people are building their skills about the different roles they've got in ERP. And then you're right, there are so many different creative ways of then doing the exposure and preventing the response. 
Script writing, I've learned a lot about script writing from you. I think it's a beautiful technique. There's a lot of wonderful examples in Jonathan Grayson's book as well. He uses a lot of script writing too. So there's lots of beautiful examples in there. He's got great templates in there, doesn't he? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. really good templates. Mm -hmm. We can also do like literal exposure to if there's something, if there's some order and, and symmetry, you can kind of muck some things up. If there are aggressive or harm themes, you can, as you said, you can watch some videos, write some stories about, tell some stories about the content that is feared. You can take a trip to the bathroom together, touch some light switches, be in the presence, breathe in the air in the bathroom, touch the faucet, and then make a plan about how you're going to reduce engagement in the compulsion. Do you want to talk a little bit about designing steps for reducing compulsions? Because it's not always about just cutting it out, is it? No, gosh, no. Yeah. No, no. It can sometimes be something that people jump in too fast into. Would you agree? Yeah, and it can go a bit pear-shaped. Because if you think about the function of the compulsion, it's there to help regulate distress, but in a very maladaptive way. So if we take that away completely all at once, then a person is left with all of this anxiety without any idea on how to actually regulate that anxiety. So ways that you can reduce those steps is to delay the onset of the compulsion. So we might time how long they can sit without doing it. If it's a very elaborate compulsion and has lots of steps involved from counting to phrases to ritualistic behaviors, etc., then you might choose one or two of those steps and muck up the order of them, or you might eliminate one or two steps well, they're the main ones that I like. Can you think of anything? Well, yeah. The only other one I might think is reducing aspects of the ritual. Like if there's sort of 10 steps to the ritual, it might be only doing eight and not going all the way to the end of the ritual as well. Yeah. Yeah. So modifying of the compulsions. Yeah. So so ways we can reduce those steps with exposures for the compulsions is to either delay the onset or to muck up the steps if it's quite ritualistic or if there are different steps involved or if it needs to look a certain way and there are loads of ways that you can do that like if someone needs to do something 10 times you might do it nine times or eight times or six times or four times or whatever else it might be if they're avoiding a certain number you might get them to use the bad number if it's quite ritualistic you might ask your client to remove one of those steps that are involved and so on and so forth so there are a number of ways that you can cut back the steps of compulsions rather than taking it away all at once. If it's not a very elaborate compulsion and your client is very willing to be able to see how they go and be curious about what happens to their body after they stop, then absolutely they can go for it. If like Tori said, they're feeling bold and they want to kind of give it a go. Having said that though, we also do want to be mindful that we don't want to push too hard too quick to overwhelm clients, sometimes we need to press the accelerator for our clients and sometimes we definitely need to put the brakes on. Because <laughs> <laughs> they may not know that they're going to be all of these rebound compulsions or that they may feel demoralized afterwards if it doesn't work out quite like they thought. Exactly. Which may impact their motivation to persist. Yeah. Exactly. So coming back to that idea of when we're removing compulsions, bear in mind it's a maladaptive distress tolerance strategy that our clients are using. So we also want to teach adaptive ERP friendly, I cannot stress that enough, (laughs) ERP friendly distress tolerance skills, 
which are skills that teach clients how to open up to discomfort, how to lean into discomfort, how to sit with thoughts and feelings rather than push away, avoid, distract, etc. And clients often say, but aren't I just distracting myself? And the answer is no, because OCD is distracting you from living your life. You sitting with OCD thoughts and choosing to live a life in line with your values is not distraction. OCD is the one that's distracting you. So we need to kind of reframe that and educate our clients on knowing that these are not distraction techniques, that they are distress tolerance techniques to help them sit with that distress. And actually, I think a lot of people come in thinking that distraction is actually a good strategy, that actually they should be trying to take their mind off it. But it's not true, is it? We're actually trying to get them to acknowledge and sit with and notice the discomfort and then learn to feel it, learn to not run from it, learn that they are strong enough to experience it and to still live a really full life despite it. Yes. And research tells us that distraction doesn't make symptoms worse, but it doesn't make it better. So if you're out and about and you don't have time to sit in your discomfort, sure, you can use a tiny bit of distraction. But when you're doing a structured ERP task, there should not be any room for distraction. Yep, I would agree. What we've done is we've compacted what is like could be a two, three day workshop into yep. like 25 <laughs> minutes. So, you know, it's a lot to cover and we're going to have to keep unpacking it in future skills episodes. So it is a bit of a whirlwind intro. I think in sort of summary, it's the idea of build a hierarchy or an exposure menu with your client about what their triggers are. Yes. Plan and design some creative exposures, teach them their techniques for sitting with discomfort and support them to prevent their OCD responses when exposed to their triggers. That is really the heart of what ERP is. The one thing we haven't mentioned yet, though, that I think is really important, which is one of our our most frequently asked questions is, does this work for all subtypes of OCD, particularly puro? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. It is about how you creatively. Yes. (laughs) Am I right? Yes. Yes. It is about clinicians often get stuck thinking about how to creatively address mental rituals, mental compulsions, because it seems like there's nothing tangible they can do. But this is where scripts come in. This is where exposure to content comes in. Use your creativity, urge surfing. This is where you use your creativity and your playfulness. But there is not a subtype that cannot be treated with ERP. It can be used for all subtypes. There is no subtype that is so special that it requires a different kind of treatment. So don't let creative challenges get in your way. Yes, exactly. Of applying ERP here. Would you agree? Here, here. Yeah, completely. Cool. All right. Well, look, I think we need to pause there because otherwise we're going to- Yeah, we could yeah, go on forever. We're going to keep on going, aren't we? So we need to wrap up. Yeah. But thank you for joining us today. And if people are interested in training and learning more about it, they can always sign up for our workshops. That's exactly right. All the information is on our website. All right. To be continued. To be continued. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Bye. Thanks, Celine. Bye. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. 
And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. rules. <laughs>